Hi, I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Sam M. Walton College of Business. Welcome to Be Epic, the podcast where we explore excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality, and what those values mean in business, education, and your life today. I have with me today Brett Biggs, who is Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer of Walmart. He is responsible for all financial functions as well as global procurement. And Brett has served in a number of functions within Walmart, including being CFO of Walmart International, Walmart US, and Sam's Club. He's also served as Senior Vice President of International Strategy, Mergers and Acquisitions, as well as Senior Vice President of Corporate Finance and Senior Vice President of operations for Sam's Club. Brett, thanks so much for taking time to visit with me today. Yeah, thanks, Dan Waller. Appreciate it. And I've been around Walmart quite a bit. I moved here in in 1994, but Walmart's grown so much over that time. Yeah. Um, You now have 2.2 million associates around the world, 1.5 million in the U.S., and that is such a huge responsibility. And you are the person responsible for finance for the that enormous organization that employs 2.2 million, not to mention the millions of people at suppliers that are supported by the Walmart salesmen, the consumers who depend on Walmart every day. It seems like a huge amount of responsibility. <laughs> when, when you put it that way, yeah, it's. Um, I try not to think about it that way. It's, it's a, <laughs> David Glass used to say it's it's all about somebody asked him one time, um, how do you run a company like this? And he said, you don't. You run it a store at a time. And that's pretty much how I think about it. You know, getting back to this point of the size, the scope of what you're responsible for, it is remarkable. And I think it's worth talking about a little bit. I mean, you know, you've got half a trillion in revenue, which is really hard to imagine. And I can't imagine there's any other company, certainly in the U.S., probably in the world, that procures as much as you do globally. Um, And you're, as CFO, you're also responsible for global procurement, which I guess has been really challenging during these times. Yeah, so there's another another group that does global procurement. What I'm responsible for is called Goods Not for Resale. So think about everything in a store that's not on the shelves. So bags and services and supplies, cleaning supplies now that we're dealing with with COVID, all of that uh, runs up through my organization and it's tens of billions of dollars every year. It's it's amazing what it takes to run 10, 11, 12,000 stores in different parts of the world. It's, we have a, we have a great group. They're experts in understanding not only how to you know, negotiate contracts like that, but to, to centralize and to, to aggregate that supply. It's, it's a big, job. Well, Brett, you know, from the very beginning of your time at Walmart 20 years ago or over 20 years ago, you started with a lot of responsibility day one, but your responsibility clearly has grown over the years. And really all people in business, you know, we get into positions where we grow in our responsibility. It's such an overwhelming thing when it's hitting you. How did you deal with that? I mean, I know that you're very capable and you've got a great team, but still there, everyone 
is challenged with this, you know, when you take on new responsibility, how do you adjust to that? Yeah, I think early in my career, I came to Walmart, I was 32 years old and uh, 32-year-old Brett's pretty different than 52-year-old Brett. 32-year-old <laughs> Brett was afraid of pretty much nothing. And, and I always thought, you know, in ways that I was probably ready for jobs that I wasn't ready for. And it, I think when opportunities came up to go ahead and, and try those and and I had great bosses, great, great people that supported me and gave me tough feedback along the way, really good constructive feedback. And that helped me grow. I, one time I got, when I, when I got the job as US CFO, Mike Duke, who was CEO at the time, stopped me in the hall. And I think I'd been in the role six months. I said, what's the thing you've, you've learned the most in this job in the last six months? I said, what I've learned the most is that when I thought I was ready for this job four or five years ago, I was not ready for this job. And I appreciate you knowing that and <laughs> not giving me that job because I would, I would have failed. And, you know, and having people that you trust to put you in, in roles at the right time. And when you're, when they know you're ready, uh, maybe a little bit ahead of when you're ready, it's, it's just been, I've been very well managed through my career. And you managed uh, constructive feedback. I mean, feedback is so important. You can't learn without feedback. Yeah. But when you give feedback, some people are crushed by feedback. Some people <laughs> thrive on it. Yes. And obviously, you have a lot of experience with feedback. How do you adjust the kind of feedback you give to the yeah. person? Yes, yeah, never fully pleasant. And early in my career, I didn't I didn't like getting feedback and therefore I viewed giving feedback almost as confrontational. But I had two or three bosses in my career that were so good at giving feedback, tough feedback, and we all have blind spots. And the way they gave me the feedback, which was tough but caring, and not only here's the feedback, but here's how I'm going to help you solve this issue, we'll solve it together, gave me confidence in being, I think, better at giving feedback. But each individual really needs to be treated like an individual and they all have different needs and the way that they accept feedback and the way I like to give feedback may not be the way they want to give accept the feedback. And I need to adjust my style for that. So uh, getting back to this scale issue once more, you mentioned quickly when I talked about that, that you've got a great team. You know, you've got to develop a team. You've got to pick your teammates, uh, but then you've got to develop them, which includes giving them feedback. Would you mind telling me a little bit about how you, how you do that? Yeah, the team, the team I have in place today and just even down through the organization, but just talking about my direct team, it's a good mix of people who have been here for a longer period of time. One's a proud U of A alum, Brandy Joplin, who's the CFO of Sam's club, but she's been international controller. She's been an audit. She's been a chief audit executive. And with somebody like Brandy, who's so talented, is to put her in different roles that just keep broadening her out and learning more about the company to where there's really no limit on things that she could do later on in, in her career. That's that's up to me to make that happen. But I like a mix of people who've been with the company a while and some people at times that that bring new things to the company. But I like also hiring people who are really broad and are able to do various jobs. I My 12 directs, I think I could almost just move them into each other's jobs and they would all function incredibly well because they're broad, they're really good leaders, they're great with people. 
we just made several new moves uh, just this past week where we moved our treasurer into the international CFO role. We moved our international CFO role into the US CFO role. We broadened a new role called omni-channel CFO in the US. And in this case, our US CFO was deciding to leave the company, which was, uh, name's Michael Dastu, so great. It was just time for him to want to do something else. But when we did that, these broad leaders are just able to go take on new functions. Omnichannel CFO, uh, you know, for those that don't know, omnichannel means that, and correct me if I'm wrong, Brett, but I take it to mean that customers, shoppers, consumers can purchase in many different ways yes. through online, through pickup, through going to the store. Is that is that right? You nailed it. And 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 the omnichannel CFO role is really focused on omnichannel includes stores, of course. But the part of the the function that we've that we've labeled for omnichannel CFO is all of our supply chain because now that's very different with an e a big e-commerce business. What we're doing around things like Walmart Plus, uh, what we're doing around pickup delivery, all of those things kind of outside of the store but still involve the store that that instigate for the most part outside the store many times fulfilled inside the store. That's that's how we talk about omnichannel. Because our, our view is that over time, and even today, I think cons consumers don't think about how they want to shop. They just, they just want to get it. And they want to get an item in the most efficient way, the least expensive way. And we've just got to be there for every opportunity that they want to do that. You know, with Omnichannel, each of the different methods of shopping have different cost structures. But they're not given, I suppose, right? In other words, when you first started pickup, your costs were a lot higher per unit sure. than over time. So I would think that would be hard to model, to really think about how are these things going to change over time? It is. It's a great question. When we started looking at online groceries, so grocery pickup, you could look at the business model and to your point, it was, it was pretty high cost when you start, but you see the customer reaction and you realize that not many of your competitors are doing it or even can do it the way that we can do it. And as the CEO, CFO, you look at one of those things and say, that's up to us as a management team to go figure that out. You know, we've certainly done that. And we talk with investors all the time that we know obviously what it costs for a pickup order, for a delivery order, for me to send something to your home. What I really care most about how is how it adds up. You know, my team and I spend a lot of time doing is, is to ensure that all those pieces around the company, not just in the US, but internationally as well, that all that can add up into a financial model that makes sense for our investors. It's it's a big Rubik's Cube. Yeah, it seems like it would be. And I, I know one of the strengths of Walmart over the years has been process management, process discipline, process optimization, those kinds of things. And I remember when grocery pickup started, because I would stand around sometimes and watch mm -hmm. what was going on. And you could see that there was a lot of learning going on. Yes. But learning curves peter out. You know, they, they level out towards the end, unless you can use new technologies that sort of overcome yeah. that. So I suppose you've really had to think a lot about technology investment as well. Yeah, we've invested a great amount of money over the last few years. We'll do more over the next several years. You'll see it in our stores. If you see things like self-checkout, which was something that we added to our Walmart Plus membership, 
if you were in the back end of our stores, you would see a, a, a lot of automation that we've done there that's make it easier for associates to unload trucks, get merchandise out on the floor. There's a great deal of new technology on the supply chain side, a lot of which we are leading as a company and working with other companies to develop this technology to give us better technology at the back end of how to move goods around the back end for our pickup and delivery businesses. I think supply chain may be the area, other than e-commerce, supply chain may be the area where we're seeing more technology coming in the next few years than than in a lot of other areas. So when you think about risk management and the CFO role, you know, I've been to stores in China, Japan, Brazil, and I, I always think, how can you manage risk for this? It's not just big, it's sprawling. It gets back again to, particularly in places where you you just have some more inherent risk of having people in place that understand the culture of the company, understand what we're trying to do, have your support and, and tools to execute what we need to do. When they when you don't have all those things in place, things don't don't go like you would want. It doesn't take much to go wrong in the size of our company to to be newsworthy or or really cause a problem. So we have really talented people in the controller organization and then the compliance organization, legal organization, to make sure we're doing the right thing. And we're not always going to get it right. I think when we, I feel good as a company that when we figure out that we're not doing something right, that we quickly correct it, admit it, and try to remedy it. So I, I feel good from that perspective. But that is, that is one thing that is challenging about Walmart is just the complexity of the company and and always trying to ensure that we keep it as simple as we can, but where we, we're just in businesses that are more complex, say it's financial services, which we just announced a new joint venture or things like healthcare, you know, we can manage those in a, in a thoughtful way. Brett, you know, um, John Cotter, the famous uh, leadership guru, he often said, you know, leaders have lots of things they're responsible for, but there's three things that they do. They set direction, they gain alignment, and they provide motivation. And all three of those things are challenging. And he, mm-hmm. he always differentiates leadership from management. And he, he, the way he terms is leadership is about dealing with or driving change, whereas management is more about dealing with complexity. So you use budgets and, and uh, staffing and problem solving and planning, et cetera, et cetera. But they are very different. And as the world becomes more dynamic and change occurs more quickly and there's more disruptions, people are saying we need more people at more levels with leadership skills because you can't plan everything. Once you've got a plan, it's obsolete. What's your experience with that? Could not agree more. And we talk about leadership at all levels of our organization you know, if we talk about functional skills that you need to, you know, if you want to be a segment CFO someday or you want to be in my role someday, there's functional things that we need to get you to go do. We need you to learn treasure. We need you to learn audit. And, and we can get you around to do those things. But there's leadership skills. We call them soft skills sometimes. To really be successful, you've got to have these. If you don't have a great sense of urgency, if you don't have the ability to drive change, as you mentioned, you can be a really great manager. You're not going to be a leader. 
you know, when I see a situation where, where a ball's gotten dropped, it's typically a situation where just nobody took leadership on it. It was, I'm going to do my job. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to do my job. And no one picked, dove after the ball and said, I got it. Issues and problems are horizontal. They go across the organization. And if you can't work your way across an organization, you'll never solve the most complex problems. And that's when I'm looking for officers or looking for direct reports, they've got to be people that can do that. Well, sometimes significant change makes the leaders stand out. You mentioned problems occur horizontally, not not vertically. Yeah. That's so true in every kind of organization. And there's there actually is some research a retired professor at Ohio State uh, did that you know he really was convinced that a lot of problems in supply chain management and logistics are more driven by these horizontal processes yes. than they are the the verticals. Absolutely. John John Ferner and I, I think I'll, I won't say it exactly right. We were talking one day and he said, I can't remember who he heard it from, but was don't ever let the customer see your org structure. <laughs> and unfortunately, us and others do show our customers our org structure every once in a while. But you know, the other thing, so I, I'd like to talk to you just a little bit about raising up leaders. And you had mentioned earlier putting, rotating people, and that helps develop them. But it also helps them, I think, if you're in different roles, when you get to these issues of the horizontal challenges, it makes it easier for you to understand what's going on. Absolutely. So that's clearly, I mean, a way to develop leaders. But what are some other things you, you think of? And, and, and also for people listening to this, especially students listening to this, um, you know, we have a lot of students. I mean, we've got 6,600 students in the business school here. And, you know, many of them like business. That's why they're majoring in it, you know. Yes, that would, that would be good. Uh, <laughs> and, but, but a number of them are thinking, oh, I want to develop my leadership skills. What are some things that people can do to develop their leadership sure. skills? I think some is being observant. I mean, find people that you know, whether it's professors or executives or, you know, a pastor of your church, whatever that is. Find people that you believe are good leaders and watch what they do. I watch people that do it well and learn from people that don't do it well. But take opportunities in school. It's more difficult now, obviously. Uh, but take opportunities to to take leadership roles in organizations, whether that's your fraternity, sorority, business club on campus. It's tough to lead among peers. That's a really, I think, particularly in your 20s. There's peer pressure to to not stand out. And I think learning to lead early among your peers is, is tough, but you learn a lot doing that. Um, I've got a daughter in college who I encourage to do that. And I think you learn a lot at a young age. And then as you get early into the organization, focus on those skills. I was too focused and I was rewarded like a lot of people deep into my career, actually, for being good at doing a certain thing. But there was a point in my career where it was there were still some some leadership skills that I needed to develop better. And I see some people come into organizations now. I'll give you a great example. Uh, another U of A grad, Allie Hazelwood. I'm going blank on her maiden name. She's been in the organization probably now about 12 or 13 years. And at a really young age, you could see she's very mature in how she handled people, how she handled herself, how she handled situations. 
but she was always looking for ways to, not in an arrogant way, look for ways to lead, but in ways to develop herself. And one of the things I've seen from people like that is they're quick to realize they're not great at everything and quick to realize that's okay, none of us are, and use that as learning opportunities to further develop their leadership. So Brett, values are so important. And you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, research that shows that uh, in some ways values may be more important than strategy. Because, uh, you know, as we go through difficult situations or challenges, the values can guide us. But for one thing, not all companies have strong values. It's not clear what some companies' values are. Some have very clear values. Is it important, in your opinion, to, as a person looking for a job, is it important to make sure your values match the company values? So, yeah, one of the things I like to talk about in groups like this, and whether it's students or professionals, you have to find a company that fits your values. I've, I've worked for really good companies. I've had some that fit my values better than others. Uh, Walmart has been a no-brainer for me from a values perspective. I knew it pretty immediately. Um, the way we solve problems, the way we talk to each other, you know, the way we handle situations, all of that tells you a lot about values. I'm able to do things with my kids. I've never been asked to do something that's wrong, that's even close to the line. That's a blessing. And, you know, as again, professionals and students, be really thoughtful about who you're working for and with and whether that fits your values. And there may be stress you're feeling and you don't know why. I think some of that comes from, you know, folks that just aren't in a company that fits how they want to live their life. And we all get kind of one shot at this life and really need to work work at a place that you feel good about. And I've always felt great about Walmart. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Be Epic podcast from the Walton College. You can find us on Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or look for us wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. You can find current and past episodes by searching Be Epic Podcast, one word, that's B-E-E-P-I-C Podcast, and now, Be Epic. Be Epic.